Oh, good morning. I'm Dan Noon. I'm the CEO of G2 Goldfields. We're listed on the TSX Venture under the symbol GTWO and on the OTCQX under the symbol GUYGF. We have a high-grade discovery in Guyana in the Cutie District. Uh, the initial resource is out in April 2022, uh, combined 1.2 million ounces at 9 grams a tonne. Uh, we are planning us a follow-up MRE uh, for the first quarter of this year. We're also expanding our exploration program, and we just released uh, the closing of a $22 million investment by Anglo Gold Ashanti into the company. Dan, thank you very much for the introduction. Good to be talking to you again. Um, <clears throat> it, it was a kind of a quite a roller coaster year last year. Um, the, the share price took a beating along with uh, almost every other kind of junior resources company, but you had a kind of an overlay of um, political risk as well. Um, there's lots of positives to talk about uh, in uh, the G2 story and the news flow that you've got going. But let's, if we could, let's start with the kind of, by grasping the nettle of um, what happened on the kind of um, geopolitical front and how you see things panning out from here. Yeah, okay. So in um, uh, November, uh, Venezuela, uh, the border to the north of Guyana, uh, once again proclaimed that they had a claim over the Essequibo uh, region in Guyana. And this dates back to the uh, colonial period of the British back in um, the 1870s uh, and the um, new Venezuelan government. So that was settled in uh, the late 1800s and in 1905 uh, the border, the tri-border between uh, Guyana, uh, Venezuela and Brazil uh, was set atop uh, on a border region in, in Guyana where it is today. So uh, Venezuela has uh, brought this up again a couple of times in the last century uh, every time it's when there's problems at home. Uh, obviously, the oil discovery in Guyana has precipitated this one, along with Maduro's 20% approval rating internally in country. Uh, it was quickly resolved. The Americans, the British, the Brazilians, um, CARICOM, the Organization of American States, all came out and denounced Venezuela. They had the meeting in uh, the Caribbean with all the Caribbean leaders, and the Argyle Accord uh, was signed, where basically both countries agreed not to resolve this by violence, but by through legal means. And so that's where we sit oh, today. So that's so, so, so that's that that's that's done. I'm sorry, I missed that. So that the Argyle Accord has been assigned, and that's an international treaty. Well, it's an agreement. There was a letter, basically, between Maduro, Venezuela, and Guyana that they would basically solve this by legal means and not by violence. So, and it's it's good. The all the other countries in the regions uh, made it quite clear that they were not backing any kind of aggressive takeover by Venezuela, but also the Americans, the British, and the, uh, obviously the Brazilians who have interest in the region. So, I mean, I think it's uh, once again a storm in a teacup. Um, you know, it was settled back in 1901, and if you, if you bring it up every time, maybe Australia should claim the South Island, New Zealand, because we've got no good skiing. But I don't think that would go down very well either. Um, okay, good. And um, do you does it come up in conversations with um, in, investors when you speak to them now? Or is it something that you're kind of just gradually putting to bed on a kind of case-by-case -case basis and education and things like this kind of will help? I had two calls this morning and it wasn't brought up actually. So um, no, but we, we, we tend to bring it up anyway in our presentation. We have a slide there just to, to clear the air because basically, you know, it was annoying and it did affect our share price. Uh, obviously, the Guyanese government took it seriously and in, you know, circled the wagons. But um, yeah, no, I think investors settled down now. 
uh, you know, America's there, especially with Exxon and Chevron adding the big oil fields here. I think everyone's comfortable that nothing's going to happen down here uh, militarily. Okay, good. So um, that aspect of political uh, risk uh, aside, you've just put out some um, uh, the news about the strategic investment from um, Anglo Gold Ashanti, um, who have bought uh, 24.5 million shares off you at 90 cents um, versus your uh, current share price of 74 cents ish. But it was a different, I mean, it was uh, much lower than that in December when it was announced, wasn't it? It was. It was in the 60s. And when we closed, it was uh, when we announced the, that the deal was 57 cents. So uh, the Venezuelans didn't help us very much there. But Anglo Gold uh, behaved like gentlemen throughout it. We'd started that negotiation before the uh, share price dropped off and then we stuck with it. So it was basically, uh, you know, Anglo have made a decision that they'd like to be in the Gaunas. Uh, they like our project. Uh, they had their team from uh, Perth come out. It was two days travel each way, six days on site. And that was really to see, you know, one, that it was actually real when you put out such good results that it actually all hangs together and they had their full team there. And two, can they say a, see a district scale uh, deposit forming here? And that was really their remit. And then they went home and they obviously uh, think they can. And so we sat down with their business development team and, and nutted out a deal. Yeah, we're comfortable what do with they- um, what are the what would they when when you say district scale, you know, what do they talk about in their minds? I mean, is five million ounces a district scale, or is it ten million ounces, or fifteen? I mean, what what what's a district scale play? Uh, for them, I, I think it's uh, what they were alluding was ten to fifteen million ounces in the district. So that, that's a, that's what they see as something which which is a district which they'd like to get into. You know, smaller than that, it's, it's piecemeal. And and that was one of the things when we first started was we wanted to put together a whole district and not postage stamps because at the end of the day especially in these uh, greenstone systems, you tend to get a series of deposits. And if you, you, know, you can find tens of millions of ounces in these districts, but you have to own it. So, and, and that's what we did originally, except for the little bit to the south of us, which is Reunion Gulf. But uh, generally all the way to the north, the 17 kilometres, we have that belt. And I, I um, recall, I think the last time we spoke, uh, Brett Davis had been, a structural geologist had been out, was it April last year? Or was it perhaps more recent than that? Um, but he, he was crucial in kind of helping you understand the... The kind of how to unlock or the, the the code or how to unlock the key or you know I'm I'm, so, I'm fumbling for words but you know what I mean to, to kind of to understand the 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 pattern of mineralization across the district exactly so we've been doing a lot of good structural work up to him getting there but there was a few things we had missed uh, which we really did unlock uh, the real structural controls out here which is these intersection of these uh, two planes which gives you the, the fluid flow pathways for the extremely high-grade material that we see at Oko Main Zone and at Gaddy. And as we go around to the northwest, out at Oko Northwest and up to Aramu, we see those rotated 90 degrees, but those same intersections and those same patterns. And definitely Brett uh, was really uh, key in that. I mean, obviously, the team themselves had the geological savvy and the ability to make the measurements and think about it, but Brett really did help us bring it all together by asking all the hard questions. Because sometimes you advance a theory you start to believe some assumptions you had at the start which maybe weren't as solid as they should have been. And when Brett came back and deconstructed it all and we put it back together, it really fell in, into place. It was, it was a great piece of work over a two-week period there. And sometimes um, when you're working on a, on a theory like that, you've got a, or with a whole mass of data, you have all the information kind of floating around, almost kind of like um, proto-thoughts or proto-conclusions in your brain, but it just requires someone external to help everything crystallise. Um, and to kind of form, kind of a, uh, fall into place, so to speak. Oh, exactly. And it's like, well, I haven't seen that, so go get the call. And you get it out again, it's like, 
Oh, it could be a bit different. And that, that shearing has been captured by the other phase of shearing. Therefore, that is the uh, timing of these events. And it really became clear that the gold was the final event. So it was all the other things, the alterations, the deformations, that was all pre-gold. And so all that architecture for the fluids to flow up, that high-grade fluid was already there. And so basically when the event came, it came up those fluid pathways where it intersected the, the, the best chemical traps, it dropped out. So that was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very clear pattern. And then when we went back to the office and said, let's plot out all the plus 30 gram samples, they all fitted into these uh, northeast plunging uh, orientations, which paralleled the lineations. So, and one of the lineations actually had gold on it, so it was fairly obvious as well. <laughs> so it's so it's a mixture of a fluid pathway. So you've got to have the 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 fluid. Um, there has to be kind of a uh, a pathway, a fracture system for it to flow along. So kind of um, a linked up uh, permeability, and then there comes a time when there's a kind of a preferential, presumably temperature, pressure, and chemical. Uh, trigger which causes the precipitation. Definitely, and in different rock types, it's different. So in in the carbonaceous sediments, where we've got the uh, large quartz veins, those quartz veins have become brittle. But they, originally, they captured country rock into the uh, into the vein, and through the deformations, that country rock has been thinned out and formed stylolites. And so when the fluid passes through that quartz vein material and and hits the stylolites, it drops out. And so we see these uh, carbonaceous sediments form stylolites and drop in gold, but also sericite. Uh, style lights, the gold is dropping out on that. So it's really just a chemical change. And once you get that one bit of gold dropped out, the next and the next, so you get all these nuggets forming along these quartz veins. In the magnetite-rich material, which is Gany, uh, Gany Central Zone, you've got, um, it's, it's the magnetite, which is the, uh, so classic, like, like a banded iron formation. The fluids pass through, uh, traveling as a bisulfide gold complex. The sulfur is attached to the iron from the magnetite. The iron grabs the sulfur, forms pyrite, the gold drops out. So it's and so we get those broader zones of more disseminated mineralization, like you see at uh, Gany uh, Central, but also down in Block Four for Reunion. But in between now, we've got Gany South, which is back in the carbonaceous sediments, and that's where we've got the 11 meters of 37 grams a ton. So you're seeing this repetition of geology, the same structure running through it, different styles of mineralization forming from the same fluids along the same structural trend, generally with the same orientation. Though. So it's the same orientation of the fluid pathways just different traps i've also seen some very very high grade numbers i think in early december you put out some figure um with kind of um 1275 grams gold over a kind of a, a very uh you know a vein 0.8 meters of the intersect um how do you cope with those um you know what do you do with the the, the high numbers i obviously there's a um there's a kind of standard practices in, in exploration and in resource modeling to do a top cut. But I was just wondering if you could talk me through how you're managing those kind of high grades and um, how much it kind of influences you and pulls you in one direction or another. Well, well for, for reporting reasons, basically, we, we like to, we don't spread those, right? So in, in that intercept, we went through shear three. I think we had nine meters at 13 grams. Then we had a six meter gap. And then we had that 0.8 meters at uh, 1200 grams. So we reported them as separate intervals. Now that Second interval was the extension vein uh, adjacent to the uh, the main shear. So it had VG in it, and it was like you know, quite a spectacular number. But it it's a narrow vein. The vein was only about three centimetres wide. The sample was 0.8, so that's why it got reported as 0.8. Uh, so what you have is these shears and parallel to that, or perpendicular, you have extension veins. So 
we see them all the way along the shears, but they're only really well mineralized in these high-grade zones. So how do you deal with that in the resource? I'm not totally sure. We'll talk to the resource guys because they are not as anywhere near predictable as the main shears. So when you get an extension vein with high-grade in it, you sort of have to create another domain, I think. And whether you can really get anything more than inferred out of those, uh, unless you get really, you know, when you're mining and you're basically doing high-density drilling, maybe that will come later. But in general, we know why they're there. They're just nice, another nice brittle host within that pipe of, uh, of a fluid flow. And um, you have to report them. You can't not report it. But it, the main event here is the shear zones, the extension veins, uh, just add-on uh, ounces. And in a resource calculation, I'm not sure how much of that will make it in. Okay, so so Q1, you've 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 announced that you're going to be putting out a new um, resource update. Uh, you, you've given the kind of Q1, so we're we're in in there. So in 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 the next kind of two and a bit months, how much extra drilling since the previous resource has gone in, and kind of um, you know what are you looking at? Is this kind of an incremental thing, or is this a step change? Uh, probably about another forty thousand meters of drilling has gone into the Oco Main and the Gany Discovery. Which and that will make up the new MRE. Uh, so there's a bit of a step change because Gany wasn't in, in in it last time, and neither was Shear One. So Shear One has the same style of mineralization as Gany has. So they will come in, and they're broader zones of lower grade mineralization. Although Gany South is that high grade style of mineralization, and at Gany Central, the footwall average is four and a half meters, ten and a half grams. So that will go down and form a high grade narrow underground. But the at surface you have 25 meters averaging two and a half grams. That hanging wall averages about a gram. So what we'll what we'll see this time is we will see open pits designed over the uh, Oco main zone and over the Gany zone as well. So we think those pits will be high grade. Uh, we ran Whittle over the uh, uh, Oco main zone after the last resource, which we kept as underground, and you generally get about a uh, somewhere between two to three and a half grams if you put a pit over it, depending on how deep you take it. And then that's a discussion we'll have. Um, certainly our engineers say, well, you're going to have to take all the satellite off before you build any infrastructure. So if you're looking at reality, you've got to build a pit there, which t- goes down to 70 metres to take the satellite. Last time we did that, it'd be, it'd be about two grams a tonne. Then you go straight into shear fire, which is running an ounce. So if, if you're looking at it from a mining point of view, that's what you'd do. Uh, and then you, you do shear three and four at the same time. You take your pit back, that would include shear one. So something will come out of that, which I think will be around about two grams as a pit. And the underground will be as high grade as last time, if not higher. At Gany, because you... So, so you'll go down on a decline from the pit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what you'd do. And you just, you'd really go after shear five to start with that high grade uh, zone there, because uh, that's running an ounce. And that's really, for us, that's payback. That's, uh, that's like zone seven at Borgra. It's like, you know, payback hill at P Arena. It's like... Yes, what you do. Yeah. So you you can you pay back your capital as quickly as possible off the high grade material that you can access quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. So because one of the things about evaluation here of the deposit, and we talk when we talk to the major companies, they say you know we're looking at IRR, and that IRR includes what we've got to pay you. So there's, there's a couple of things you can do to uh, increase the value that you can get paid, and so that is shorten the timeline to production. And in Guyana, that can be done, and the government's very supportive. Uh, really, it's two years of baseline studies for the environmental, and then you can apply for your uh, uh, mining license. And so, if you've got all your ducks lined up, you could be in production three years from now at, at, at the fastest rate. So that's that's fine. And then, basically, if you've got a low capex, rapid payback, all of a sudden you can get paid a lot more back here by the companies buying you, rather than saying it's ten years to production, you've got to spend a billion dollars, and it's ten years to payback. Well, then 
there's no IRR on it. So, you know... Um, it, there's, there's, we're, we're jumping around a little bit, but there's the packed with information. But let's um, stick with the MRE. So you, you're adding in 40,000 meters. Um, when was the drilling cutoff? And have you had five rigs running since you did that drilling cutoff? Okay, drilling was cut off for the Christmas break, which was December the 17th. Now, we've still got 3,000 okay. samples at the lab, but they're starting to come in now. The lab's promised us by the end of the month they'll have us to them. <laughs> have them to us uh so we'll see and th that drilling we decided would be what would go into the uh mre and then we've, we started up with five drill rigs uh about 10 days ago so and so we've got four on the uh oko main zone one at gani and when we get all our assays back because we also did drilling out at oko northwest and oko north uh in december and so we plan on following up those areas uh fairly aggressively as well so there's a two-pronged attack here. There's basically, okay, we'll, we'll keep chasing the high-grade, the OCO main zone and Gani, you know, to expand high-grade mineralization. But we're going to focus heavily on OCO Northwest, OCO North, uh, and then eventually up to Aramu, whilst we are, you know, doing a lot of trenching, following up the soils at Tracy and uh, Amsterdam to a degree. So there's a lot going on, but still very much an exploration play. But with the idea of de-risking, and, and shortening timelines to a potential mine for whoever builds the mine. So uh, th that leads into the kind of the, the production timeline. Um, you know, so you've got five rigs and you're doing a lot of uh, exploration, step out stuff, um, but you will also be working on, I don't know, a 10 year mine life or an eight year mine life. It'll um, pick, your, pick your throughput rate just to try and de-risk that kind of front end of the production curve. Absolutely. I mean, I think most people always try to jam their resource into 10 years because outside of that, you don't get any MPV, <laughs> which is sort of like, that's what's yeah. driven by the markets and the consultants, but not necessarily Absolutely. Uh, where the end value is, which is a long life mine of, you know, and, and, and larger tonnages. So we would obviously focus on, on that. To that end, I mean, that's why we've always been a bit, um, you know, not wary, but certainly not totally focused on going too deep. Uh, we, you know, we know that, you know, okay, main zone's open to depth, as is Gany, and whilst we can continue to hit plus 10 gram material, we'll happily drill deeper in those zones, right? But just adding ounces of depth doesn't change your net present value or your nav really, right? So what we need to do is make new discoveries to surface along that whole trend. So to that end, we've been doing a lot of work out at OK Northwest in the last three months. Like I said, we drilled about 18 holes in December, uh, waiting for assays. It really is a continuation of the same geology and same system as the Oco main zone. It's just been folded around that regional fold, so now it's striking northwest. And But we see all the same uh, structural fabrics, all the same controls. And we did this with Brett last year. It was one of the great things that Brett uh, helped us out with all the way up to Aramu. So we were pretty comfortable that we can find more Ocos. Are they the same kind of dips? Uh, so, I mean, uh, obviously the... Uh, the orientation has changed, but they're still sub-vertical. Yes, exactly. So basically, you, you, when you're running north-south, you're plunging to the northeast, and now you're running out northwest, and you're plunging off to the northwest like that. And so it's plunging out towards, you know, 300 degrees. But you, you still do get those other flatter zones, which we see in the Oko main zone. So you've got your steep plunge to the northeast, and that flat plunge back to the southeast along those same plains. We, we see that sort of thing as well happening out there. And, um, you know... Yeah, the, they are the two main trends, basically northeast and southwest along that plane of the shearing. You talk about consolidation, the IRR, which involves kind of a, a purchase price as well as the kind of development um, curve. Um, Anglo Goldashanti have 
they own less than 12%, 11.7% now. D um, do you see that as a kind of a controlling block? I mean, do they have do they have board seats? I, I see they've got some non-dilution rights. Is there anything else that... Have they got preferential access to the drill core, to the data? Do they see it before anybody else can? No, and none of those. No board of directors. Uh, they, have, they have the, um, obviously, non-dilution rights, uh, but no special access to data. It's the same as everybody else. Obviously, we're friendly with them. You know, I, I talk to them. They give us good advice, but uh, they don't... They don't need that, and certainly I don't think they want that. There is no um, standstill clause. They can buy in the market, so they've got to be careful uh, that they don't have inside information, and so and that's that's clear that they don't. Um, so you know, we see as a front row seat. Uh, internally, um, insiders still own 28% of the stock, so we have the control block ourselves. Um, so it, it, I think it's a good thing they're in the district. They're showing a, a good intent. Um, we get along well with them. They understand that, you know, we only sold 11% and not 100. <laughs> so that later on we can negotiate that, but I think as adults and as the, as the uh, play is de-risked and the size potential uh, becomes apparent, you can come to a, a, a real decision about what the value is. And there's also other players in the district. Of course, on the reunion side, you have Barrick as a major shareholder and you have La Mancha. So it's not a single company play, but... Um, you know, over the next 12 to 18 months, I think you'll see uh, the district come together. And then there's certainly one of the uh, main players here will, will take a lead role, I think. And uh, with the funds you've got, um, are you going to exhibit discipline or are you going to suddenly go out and kind of buy yourself fancy lunches? No, we'll stick with the same discipline. It's just un unfortunate for most people, though I'm a bit parsimonious with the money, right? <laughs> it's just, but uh, it's, uh, no, we, we always stick with methodical exploration. And, um, and we'll do the same. We are, are building the team up. We've added another geologist recently. We may add a couple of more as we uh, see the ability to drill more if we can. So all drilling is always related on success, previous success. But we've got Oco Main. We've got Ganny now, which demand rigs. Now we're exploring Oco Northwest. If we hit there, we will expand again. And when we get to Aramu, which I've been chafing at the bit to get back to for two years, that will demand more rigs and geologists too. So you know, we don't see ourselves slowing down. But it's always driven on success. And sometimes you get confused and you've got to step back and redo your model. So, you know, it's not just drill, drill, drill and go crazy, but we will be drilling a lot. There's no doubt about that. And uh, what about um, uh, metallurgy? Because whenever I hear carbonaceous shales, I always kind of think of preg robbing and um, uh, I think of Sea Armour and the problems that <laughs> Rangold and, the, and everybody has, and then Resolute and, you know, you name it, have had um, with a highly preg robbing. Um, host rock. I just wonder where you've got to on the uh, on the metallurgy side of things. Yes, okay, so we've done bottle roll tests um, on on the Oco Main Zone and and now on Ganny as well. And with, and the Oco Main Zone average ninety eight point five percent recoveries. So what we don't see there, if we don't see activated carbon, we don't say uh, you know we, we there's carbon naceous material in the sediments, but yet they're not uh, shales per se. They're just carbonaceous sediments. So they're only be subjected to Greece's fascist metamorphism and you don't start generating um, graphite until you get to amphibolite phase uh, metamorphism and most gran and it's granulite phase is where most uh, graphite deposits are, are developed. So you can get graphite forming from uh, higher pressures and uh, on uh, shearing, but we haven't seen any graphite in, in, the, uh, in the ore yet or the mineralization yet. And certainly the bottle roll tests haven't shown any robbing. So we're, we're pretty comfortable with that. We haven't seen any metamorphic grade greater than Greenwich's fascies in the whole district. So we're pretty lucky there. Um, 
So as opposed to the Archean, where you do get that, uh, you'd be between people like Fascist and back to Greenchist, and you have those graphite uh, beds. Yeah, we don't have any of that. And you mentioned that the um, earlier when you were talking about the kind of the chemistry and the precipitation of the kind of the sulfide formation, um, so the pyrite formation and the gold precipitating out separately, is does that mean that the gold is on fractures or is there some inclusion of um, gold within the lattice of the pyrite? No, we don't see that at all. So when we, when we get in, as Brett showed us this as well, we see uh, gold precipitating out on fractures in the pyrite. So, I mean, if the pyrite's form yeah. there's fractures and you see gold dropping out on fractures, also pressure shadows, you see it dropping out there. Uh, but yeah, no, not not uh, encapsulated at all. So that's good. Good, 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 good. Um, uh, right, well, there we go. I mean, that's, that's a pretty useful roundup. You've, you've spoken about um, Anglo-Golashanti looking for a, uh, looking at this kind of, with a view to seeing kind of a disparate scale um, play. Uh, they've got a non-controlling interest. You've got enough funds to run uh, full gas this year and possibly into next year. Um, explore and de-risk. That's the, is that the basic approach? Exactly. How do you change the market perception of your company? How do you change the valuation? Do you feel as if you're kind of um, no CEO will say that they are fully valued on an on a resource outs or an EV per outs basis? So what's your what, what's the strategy there? Well, I think we have to get out. We, and we started last year getting out to our uh, more you know, conferences and certainly uh, more meetings. Um, and, and we've certainly got a full book in the first half of this year. I think we're starting to show, I think with the Anglo coming in, it gives us credibility that this is a real deposit. You know, it's like even the Anglo guys said they had to come and see it to see that it was real. And so with, with that validation from Anglo Gold, I think we can talk to that. You know, we can say, well, it's good they can buy it at 90 cents you can buy it at 70 all day and not get hurt here right it's uh so yeah i think we can get fund managers to come in and believe this is going to be a mine we thought we got that we thought we would achieve that with our first mre but uh, i think now we've it's a validation of anglo gold and as we keep moving forward talking about how this really is going to be a mine and i think that gets people over the line because i think the you sort of early stage speculative investors we need to, even though we like those guys, we need to move beyond that to uh, uh, more larger fund managers who want to come in and buy it because it's going to be a mine and there'll be a transaction down the road. So that, that's, that's the investors we need to find. And to that end, uh, we need to keep telling the story that this is basically going to be a mine and we've got the validation and we're going to keep making it bigger. Dan, thank you very much. It's been a great update. Um, really good talking to you. Thanks very much, Mill.